A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. And welcome back into the reading room, the place where you can find out about people's thoughts, about their adventures, about what their lives have done for them and uh, what they can do for other people as well, and everything to do with the language in between. And uh, one of the things that I love reading are books about people who have had wonderful adventures, most of them obviously autobiographical and hearing stories about people who have done things that people thought, oh, there's no ways anybody can do that. But one of them is sitting with me in the studio right now. And I'm really very happy to welcome into the studio Jo Rust. Now, for those of you who haven't heard about her, I'm going to let her tell you all about herself. But she's a bit of a daredevil and a woman with gumption, so they say. Welcome to the reading room, Jo. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> okay. Now, it says on your bio that you're a mental coach. <laughs> I know yes. not, not, I'm calling it a mental coach because I'm thinking you must be mental <laughs> to do what the things that you've done. All right. So, so what, what is your background before we get into anything? Um, so I've been doing the whole adventure travel thing for quite a number of years. And uh, before that, you know, I was in my 20s and... I mean, this started way back in 2007, mm. so it's been a long time. And when I decided I wanted to be the first woman to go around Africa, that was that was 2007. So it's been what 14 years since then. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's it's not just about um, going around Africa. It's about being the fastest woman cyclist from Johannesburg to Cape Town. Well, that's how it started out. Yeah. So it started out on a bicycle and the idea was to cycle around Africa. And at the time, so like I said, this was back in 2007, 2008, thereabouts. And I tried to get sponsors on board and everyone just said to me, look, you're nuts. This mm. is, this is <laughs> never going to work. <laughs> it's never going to happen. It's too much of a risk. I mean, woman alone, traveling on your own. Um, on but a bicycle. On a bicycle, you know, which is not like the fastest medium of getting around. Mm. But <laughs> I, I was very adamant. I am an extremely stubborn person. And I just said, well, I will just show you. I'll just do it. And yeah. I started out with um, cycling from Joburg to Cape Town. That was in 2008. Yeah. And that was fastest female cyclist mm. from Joburg to Cape Town solo. Um, and still, uh, no sponsors. <laughs> Everyone is still, yeah, we're still not buying into this. This is not a good idea. Yeah. And so next came up, I cycled around SA. So I did the whole border around SA. Uh, there was 6,000 Ks in 100 days. Yeah. Yeah, on my own as well. So that one, I was the first person to have done that mm -hmm. solo. And then came the big one. 
so after all of that, still no sponsors, uh, people still saying I'm nuts, this is never going to work. But I was just so adamant. You know when you just know you're supposed to do something? Mm, mm. And I knew this is what I'm supposed to do, even though people thought that I was nuts. Well, I, I think you'd, you'd have been completely nuts to do it on a bicycle. So I can understand, <laughs> look, going on a motorbike is a hell of a lot easier on the body. Yeah. But then there's also the problem that comes with it, that the breakdowns and not being able to get fuel. And at least it can get you out of uh, dodgy situations a lot quicker. Why the change over to the motorbikes rather than the cycling? Well, I think exactly for the reason you mentioned. I think the universe also realized, look, you know, this is not a good idea. So when I started to do the whole around Africa thing on the bicycle, I started out from Camps Bay mm-hmm. and made it all the way up to northern Angola on my bicycle, uh, where one fateful Saturday, so it was about three and a half thousand Ks. Yes. Um, and one fateful Saturday morning, this uh, Ford pickup pulled over, which was never, it, was, it wasn't strange. A lot of people would pull over to want to talk to me mm-hmm. because it's not normal seeing a girl on her own <laughs> on a bicycle <laughs> on a bicycle in the middle of nowhere and um but out of this ford pickup piled four men with machetes and knives and that's when i realized well they're not here to talk or chat mm. and um so i grabbed what i thought was my um one pannier bag with my journals in it and all my paperwork and made a run for it because i realized you know they said to me give it over hand everything over and so I did, and I ran into the Angolan bushveld, um, and they took off. And there I was, standing in the middle of nowhere with one pannier bag, um, not knowing what to do. <laughs> but that, that is a problem um, for, for most of the, I mean, the books that you've re- I've read, and I'm sure you've read most of them as well, uh, about people, women specifically, who have done trips on their own, wherever it may have been. That is a big part of a problem. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard about um, Julia Albu, um, who did the uh, her wonderful trip from South Africa to England yeah. in, in her 20-year-old Toyota Conquest. Oh, yes. At the age of 80. Yes. Okay, my, my <laughs> African Conquest. Where we, I think we were more worried about her having any issues, not just breaking down, but having issues in various places at border posts. I mean, being an 80-year-old woman. Yes. But I think that women are fairly resilient. Um, who, who came to your rescue? And we don't want to say, like, you know, Prince Charming or whatever, sure. because, you know, we're not Rapunzel lying down <laughs> waiting to be rescued. <laughs> but, I mean, who did come to your rescue in that particular instance well it is uh, it's an amazing story so what ended up happening is what i had left was i did have my um hydration pack with mm-hmm. me and this one pannier bag which by the way ended up to be my toiletries and not my journals oh. um <laughs> grabbed the wrong bag but i did have my phone with me and my passport and my cards mm-hmm. so i phoned a friend of mine in luanda in the capital not knowing that he is very connected to pretty much everyone in government in Angola. And within minutes, it just became like this. The best way I can describe it is like a Hollywood story. So I, the next thing, my phone rang and it was the governor of the state mm. where I was in. The Zahir province is uh, the most northern province of Angola. And he said to me, just stay where you are. There's police on their way coming to pick you up. Uh, next thing I know, police vans are pulling up to me, picking me up, taking me back to the nearest town. And it's like they deployed all like the entire police force in that area. Mm. The governor then flew in to come and fetch me. 
they sent two helicopters from Luanda to search for these perpetrators. Yeah. And I'm standing there and I'm like, guys, it's just a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> but did you did you get the books back? Well, yes, I did. So what ended up happening is they said, okay, so if they searched for these guys and this happened on the Saturday. So by the Monday they said, okay, look, if we haven't found anything, um, then will help you get back home. Mm. But I'd already then decided that I want to start over on a motorcycle because I realized that, okay, bicycle, um, I'm so exposed to the elements, mm. number one. Number two, I'm going at a pace where someone can easily outrun me mm. because I have so much that I'm carrying with me that I said, okay, I want to start over on a motorcycle. And they didn't find anything. And I came back home. They helped me come back home. And when I got back home, I received a Facebook message, nonetheless, from the Minister of Local Government in Angola, apologizing for what had happened and saying to me, if there's anything we can do to help you, please let us know. Mm. We feel terrible about what happened. And I just took a big chance and I said to him, well, you know what? I actually want to start over on a motorcycle. Mm. Uh, would you guys be willing in looking at helping out in, you know, financially specifically? And he said to me, well, send me a proposal and a budget. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I knew nothing about motorcycles. I knew nothing well, about motorcycle be, travel. That was going to be my question. Had you ever ridden a motorbike <laughs> before? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there I was crunching numbers frantically trying to figure out, okay, what is this going to cost me and what do I need? Because all of a sudden it's not just a bicycle. Now you need fuel. Now you need parts. Now you need, you know, paperwork for the bike. And um, so I read countless online forums on people who had done it before mm. to try and figure out, okay, what is it that I need? And I put together a proposal in the budget, sent it off to them. And about a week later, I received a reply and they said, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's, that's useful. Out of adversity <laughs> comes something fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But so then crash course in, hopefully not literally a crash course, <laughs> but a crash course in how to ride a motorbike and, and do it off-road as well. Because I mean, it's not, I mean, I've ridden motorbikes my entire life. Yeah. And even now, still to these days, I sit there and think, hmm, I don't know if I want to get back on a motorbike and go jolting through on bad roads here, there and everywhere. Who, who took you under their wing and got you riding? I literally got my license two weeks before I started over on my on my journey again. And I had this friend, Kurt, and he helped me, gave me a little crash course in mechanics, showed me how to change a tire, how to fix a puncture, how to do a, a minor service, main service mm. on the on the bike. I Luckily, I think because I've always cycled throughout my life since I was a kid, it makes that transition to a motorcycle much easier. Mm. So the first time I did get on the bike, I nearly fell over. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I was so scared. And I thought to myself, okay, I just need to do this and get over that feeling of being scared of doing this. Um, and I got going and I went for coffee at a friend's place and it got a bit better, got a bit better as I got used to it. Mm. But it was literally, I threw myself in the deep end. I really did because I, I had no idea what I was, um, you know, letting myself in for because Angola, I, to this day, I still think Angola is where sand is, where they make sand. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can well imagine. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen some wonderful stuff and there, there was a... I'm trying to think. I can't remember the name of the book. Um, I'm sure somebody will let me know at some stage of somebody who came from England down to Cape Town and did basically around the bulge, but then they couldn't go through Mauritania. That's one of the reasons why the Dakar stopped 
going to yeah. Dakar. Um, and she came all the way down through Angola as well. And yeah. I mean, she's also, her entire trip was just like all about sand <laughs> and getting stuck. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I will, I'm quite adventurous, but there's just no ways I'm going to do that. Yeah. I, mean, I'm, I have to take my hat off to all of you who have done that. Okay. So what bike was the one and why did you decide on the bike that you went on? So when it came to deciding, okay, what bike am I going to use? Mm. Like I said, I was reading all these online forums and it came down to it has to be a bike that I can easily work on. Yeah. It has to be a bike that's very simple, you know, mechanically put together. It has to be a bike that I can pick up on my own. Yeah. And it came down to the BMW F650 GS Dakar. The Funduro. <laughs> yeah, man. I had a Funduro. Best bike going. Oh, absolutely yes. 100%. That little Rotax motor just yeah. keeps going forever. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it gave you no trouble the whole way around. No I'm sure. trouble whatsoever. So I serviced it myself every five thousand k's. Um, I went through only two sets of tires mm-hmm. the entire trip. It was forty five thousand k's, um, and really no trouble. The only trouble I had was with my suspension, but that was in northern Kenya, which um, now it's a tarred road. Back when I did it, it was called Hal Road because yeah. it was <laughs> at the time it was five hundred kilometers of just corrugation it was horrible and your what would happen is your suspension would overheat and then it would blow and that's exactly what happened to my bike but uh, friends of mine then uh, gave me a spare that they had back here in south africa Mm. and tnt flew it up for free i put it back in and by that time i'd learned how to you know work on my own bike and it was amazing i loved it Absolutely loved it. Motorbikes are the best. They really oh, are. They are. Okay, so the route that you took, obviously up through Angola, all the way up the West Coast? Yes, so all the way up the West Coast. Uh, when I got to Ivory Coast, I could not get into um, Liberia or Sierra Leone on account of the borders were closed at that time. Because of the wars and things that were going also, on. Yes, mm. this is ex- also exactly at the time when um, they were having all these um, troubles in Timbuktu. Mm. And also that one South African that got kidnapped in yeah. Timbuktu at the time. I was there when he got kidnapped at that time. So it was um, a choice of either I go inland and go around Liberia and Sierra, Sierra Leone um, into Senegal mm. uh, through Mali, or I take a ferry around the outside, which I thought it felt like cheating. So I was like, no, I'm going to gun it through Mali. Mm. And so I went through Mali to Senegal, up through Mauritania, Morocco, And then I had to hop over to Europe on account of the land border between Morocco and Algeria has been closed for Mm. decades. So I had to go over to Europe, then come back into Northern Africa, into Tunisia, um, and then through Libya, Egypt, and then down the the East Coast. Libya must have been quite interesting as well. Libya. Libya was very interesting. It It is the one visa stamp in my passport that I have most pride over because (laughs) you do not get like a visitor's visa for Libya Mm. and at the time when I got there uh, when I was in 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 Tunisia I was trying to get a visa to get into Libya and this was exactly at the time when it was during the Arab Spring as well Mm. so I don't know if you remember the Million Man March in Egypt that happened at the time so I was right there at this time when all of this was going on and I had everyone begging me to please not go through Libya. Like everyone, my friends, uh, the friends I met in Tunisia, uh, everyone around the world who's reading my blog, everyone's like, please do not go through Libya because you will die. Mm-hmm. 
But again, you know, I just I just knew I had to do this. Mm. I, I just knew it would be fine. And it's you know, it's it's difficult to explain that to someone when you're going through it at the time because you do seem a bit mental and they're thinking <laughs> Yeah, this is, yeah. this is not a good idea, but okay, okay, you do what you need to do. <laughs> and I ended up um, getting, so through a friend of mine who's in the military in Tunisia, contacted a friend of his in the military in Libya, mm-hmm. who happens to be part of the Libyan Motorcycling Federation, who contacted the tourism industry, uh, well, the Minister of Tourism in Libya, who happens to be a woman, or was at the time, and only through personal invite from her could I enter Libya. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it helps to know people who uh, know yes, people. Yes, it's not this. what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> okay, so you get through Libya, off to Egypt. Yes, I was stuck in Libya for a little while because as soon as I got into Libya, both borders closed between Libya and Tunisia and Libya and Egypt. Mm-hmm. So there I was, landlocked in Libya during war. And um, <laughs> in my book, I do write about this, and I will never forget this because it was one of the most ironic moments of my life ever. Uh, I was driving around. So the the language barrier was the worst in Libya mm. uh, because so few people spoke English, and my Arabic is very limited. And so they say to me, okay, we're going to keep you here in the capital for a couple of days whilst things calm down mm. because it literally was a war zone. I mean, I would lie in my hotel room at night and listen to bombs going off around me. And I was riding, driving in a in an old open Jeep with um, this guy that was looking after me. And he he had he still had on a tape. He was playing on a tape. Mm-hmm. Um, Tracy Chapman's talking about a revolution. Yeah. And we're driving around <laughs> with bombs going off around us in this Jeep with this song playing, blaring on this radio. And I just thought, oh, my soul, this is the most ironic moment of my life. Did you bump into any South Africans when you were on your trip around this area? Because I know at one stage in Libya when those things were happening, there were a lot of South African uh, reporters and journalists who yeah. were up in the area. Did you come across any of them at any stage? I mean, did you bump into a lot of people that you... I didn't. And this not was, at all? No, because um, this was the other interesting thing, because it was at a time when everyone was being forced out of the countries. Mm. So um, I was the only person trying to get into these countries, <laughs> whilst everyone is being forced out of these countries. And I didn't. I didn't meet reporters. I didn't meet um, any other, you know, motorcyclists or adventure travelers. And uh, it was strange, for me to not meet other people that is very odd yeah it was it was but it was it was such yeah it's it's very difficult to explain i mean it's it's kind of it's it's a twilight zone mm. it really is you can't it feels unreal and then you came back down at the east coast or did you come down through the center no i came down the east coast so from egypt down to sudan um then ethiopia kenya tanzania malawi mozambique Swaziland, back into SA. And how long did this all take? So it took about a year. But of that year, uh, six months was probably proper riding time. Mm. Because the other thing is also, uh, logistically, it was a very difficult thing to do because uh, of the visas. Mm. You know, some visas are valid from date of issue. Some are valid from date of entry. So you have to try and figure out all these logistics. And it was very difficult. Um, But... TIA, this being Africa. Yes, this is Africa. <laughs> this, this didn't bother me at all. So when I left here, I had visas up until Cameroon. And I said to myself, well, from there on out, I'll figure it out as mm. I go along. Mm. 
And at the time, I didn't get a, a visa for Nigeria here because it would have cost me, I think, 3,000 rand at the time. And so when I got to Gabon, I went um, in, in, in Libreville, I went to the embassy for Nigeria, cost me $100 one day, 24 hours, and I got my visa. And I was like, you see? Yes, yeah, things work out. <laughs> things work Sometimes out. It's better to travel, hopefully, than to arrive. Well, exactly. And also, like I said, the, you know, TIA. In Nigeria, my, my visa expired. And it took, you know, um, going into a dodgy alley in the back of a car and handing over your passport with $100 notes in it. And then, you know, you get it <laughs> they hand it back to you with a whole new visa. <laughs> so all of these stories are in your book. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, we haven't even mentioned the name of the book yet. Yes, so it's called Woman Alone Around Africa. Okay, which says it all, really. It's kind of, yeah. <laughs> but, but that is, I mean, it must have been really soul-destroying sometimes when you're sitting there and you don't see anybody and you don't know where you are and you've got nobody to talk to you in your own language. I mean, how did you get through that part of it? That That would have been the one thing that would have made me completely crazy. See, that's where the, the whole run-up to the story comes in because the reason why I wanted to do this is because I suffer from a number of mental illnesses, from uh, social anxiety, depression, to complex PTSD. And this trip was my way of fighting against that and mm. trying to figure out how do I control these things and how do I get over uh, you know, my severe anxiety and for someone who suffers from severe social anxiety to be on your own in a foreign country, not being able to speak the language. I mean, it was, again, like I said, I like to throw myself into the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> but you learn, you learn that, you know, in general, people are actually good. Mm. In general, people will always try and help you. 99% of the people I came across always just wanted to help me. Um, 99% of the people I came across were always very generous, uh, very kind. Mm. And you also realize language is not an issue. Language barriers are not an issue. You can sign, you can uh, draw pictures, you can, you know, whatever, do charades, and you'll get your points across. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's all about the barriers you set up for yourself, mm. you know, and that's, I think, one of the main things that I learned. Well, what was your background before, I mean, you started doing all of these rides and cycling? I mean, what did you study? Where, what was your thing in, when you were a kid, what you wanted to be? So, so the first thing I ever wanted to be, I was about eight years old and I remember this so clearly. I turned and can't remember, we were watching something on television and I turned to my parents and I said to them, when I grow up, I want to be a scientist. Okay, so I've always been a super nerd and, mm. you know, everyone who follows me and knows well, me yes, as this is exactly adventure the, girl. The exact life that a nerd would lead, yeah, <laughs> yes. totally, yes. <clears throat> so, you know, it's very unexpected. But I've always been the kind of person who needs to understand how things work and why they work that way. And that's exactly why I did this trip is so I could understand why I struggle with my anxiety and how to deal with it, how mm. to control it. Mm. And so I, I didn't study when I finished school, which I'm actually kind of glad about now because I probably would have ended up studying something that I would have hated. Mm. So now that I've done all of this and over the last couple of years, I've had my own business running training and tours, motorcycle adventure, motorcycle training and tours. I was brand ambassador for BMW, brand ambassador for KTM. Uh, but well, that's now, something we have in common. I was also a brand ambassador <laughs> at one stage for BMW. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah, nice company to play with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was it was really amazing. Um, it was an amazing experience. And the thing is, I loved the aspect of, you know, making a change, especially in such a male-driven 
industry. Yeah. So it was very difficult getting into people accepting a female as an actual instructor until I went through and became an internationally certified instructor through BMW mm. and did more certifications. And after a while, you know, people get to realize that you know what you're doing and <laughs> it's okay to listen to a girl sometimes. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's a very strange little world, that one. You know, <laughs> you know whenever like, I had a Harley and riding what with, I was the only girl with a Harley at the time and pretty much in South Africa. And these men were always like, and wherever you go, people are like looking at you and then you yeah. take your helmet off and the hair comes down yeah. oh it's a girl <laughs> and like and thinking why you know why should it be a strange thing i know i know it fascinates me it fascinates me to this day because i'm so used to it you know and and because like you rode a harley i i've always ridden big bikes mm. so from the 650 i went to a 1200 bmw and then i rode a 1290 ktm what, the gs and, or <laughs> yeah the gs <laughs> 1200 gs i had the r1200 c which i liked a nice cruiser oh so nice very nice lovely cruiser. bike yeah but they people do get like completely like freaked out when they see chicks riding motorbikes i know like why why I know. We? and you know it's it, like i said it always fascinates me so when i stop at a garage to fill up I'll always have, and I take off my helmet because you can't always see, you know, it's a woman riding if you have, especially in adventure gear. Mm. And um, I'd always have like someone come up to me and say, aren't you scared? Isn't it? That's another interesting thing. Um, a couple of years back, I threw my kids into the back of a Kia Coupe with me. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they were, we used to call them the chickens and they were about 10 years old at the time. And we had to go to Cape Town. I thought, no, why just go to Cape Town? Okay. We're going to do uh, an around South Africa, one oh, of our little awesome. road trips. So we flew the coop with the chickens <laughs> in the back. And we did five and a half thousand Ks flying oh, wow. around, flying, low flying around South Africa. And <laughs> yeah. we went to various places where I'd been to in the past on TV and to Queenstown to go and see old schools. And the amount of times when I'd pull up somewhere and people would say, what are you doing? Oh, we're doing this trip. And the men would always turn around and say, just you and the girls on your own. I'm yeah. Like, yeah, we're driving around South Africa. What's the problem? Yes. And people still look at you as if you're on your own. You don't have a man there to look after you. I'm like, I know. why? Why is there this patriarchal way of looking at things when it comes to women traveling on their own? I think, you know, even though we've gone through the whole emancipation of the woman, uh, we still have a long way to go. It's, it's something that, although... At the same time, I have to say, over the years, men have become far more accepting now of mm. females riding because there are way more females riding now than ever before on motorcycles. Yeah. And um, so the guys who I ride with, they're more like brothers to me. And they're very, yes, they are uh, protective over you, but... It's it's difficult for women, especially when you just start out riding, you know, because guys, guys are guys. guys. They do look after you, though. That's one thing I did find that the moment yes. they've got you on a bike and you're with a gang of people, they are 100% there for you and don't mess with our girl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I always say, you know, the moment I got into a motorcycle, I became um, a, a family member of the biggest family on earth. Yeah. Because that's it's a family. If you ride a bike, you are automatically a family member. Doesn't matter what bike you ride. Yeah. Uh, which is an amazing thing, and that helped me a lot going around Africa as well because, you know, motorcycling communities would take me in all over the show, mm. and it was a really amazing thing to experience. But, yeah, I, I think it's, it is – it does fascinate me, and as um, someone who aspires to go into psychology and psychiatry even, it does fascinate me as to why we still struggle with that. Why are men still like, yeah, but you're a woman, and – 
you know, you can't do this on your own and you should have a man with you. I can do anything a man can do and I can do it better backwards and in heels and I can give birth to a child. Okay. So try and yeah, that one. Yeah. No, it's one of those kind of things. And, and it, is, it is changing. It is changing, but slowly. Yes. I mean, I think men get like really kind of, you start talking to them about upper control arms or how to change the tire on a bike. I mean, they look at you like, how do you know this stuff? <laughs> I know, which I love. And because of um, what I do, and I mean, this used to be my job. So I would teach guys how to change tires and mm. how to fix a puncture. And uh, But like I said, it's come a long way and guys are far more accepting of it now. And I have to say, especially in the last two years, when I started out, I had the attitude was, you're a woman, what are you going to teach me? Mm. But as the did you time, throw your book at them? <laughs> I hadn't. I hadn't published hadn't my published book. I know it's a brand new book. I know. <laughs> Should throw it at them and say, "This is what I do." <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, I'm all about action. So, you know, um, there's a saying. Oh, what is it? I love it so much. Your actions, or what, what you're saying. I can't hear what you're saying because your actions speak so loudly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm all about you know, doing rather than talking about exactly. it. Exactly. I'll show you. Yeah. You know. You know, what are you going to teach me? And then I'll be like, well, I'll show you. Yeah. And it took a while, but, uh, you know, men became far more accepting. And over the last couple of years, I never get someone who questions me anymore, ever. Um, most of my clients became men who would come for training. Uh, I would never have an issue with, you know, sexism at all. Mm. So it has come a long way. We still have a long way to go, but it has come a long way. Yeah, it is difficult as a female to be accepted into what is notoriously a male-dominated kind of uh, yeah. milieu with racing cars as well. Same issue. Yes. And you have to get used to the male kind of uh, A-type personality. <laughs> anyway, so but now what, what have you been doing since your last big trip? So since I finished my trip around Africa, that was when I was appointed as brand ambassador for BMW. Mm. And then I I never thought about becoming an instructor. Mm. So here's a funny story. I went all the way around Africa. And then when I came back, I decided maybe I should go for some training. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That's the way to do it. <laughs> and I did go for some off-road training. Mm. And the instructor said to me after the training, he asked me, would you ever consider getting into this industry and becoming an instructor? And it, it was never something I had thought about. And I thought, well, yeah, why not? Mm. I, I enjoy what I do. And it just happened that I I was just naturally good at riding off-road. And so then I started training. Then I qualified as, a, as an internationally certified instructor, off-road instructor. So I was the first, in, first female um, in Africa, fourth in the world, mm. to qualify as an off-road instructor, female off-road instructor. Then I started giving training. Then I started uh, I started up my own company and offered adventure tours for both the local and international markets. And uh, then KTM poached me last year. <laughs> so then I went over. Do, yeah. <laughs> yes, they call it the dark side. <laughs> poached me over to the dark side. And I then rode for KTM for about a year. And then earlier this year, I actually retired uh, indefinitely for the time being to focus on my studies Mm. and to focus on my mission. So like I said, this journey was all about trying to figure out why I struggle with the things I do in terms of mental illness. And it helped me to figure it out. 
throughout, so for the last 30 years, I've been reading and studying and going for counseling and trying to figure this out and riding around Africa. <laughs> it's, it's taught me so much and it's helped me incredibly. So now I want to teach other people mm-hmm. how to be able to deal with mental health issues. And it's something that is very close to my heart. Uh, so I've now, I'm planning on um, enrolling to study next year. So the idea is to do a degree in psychology and then after that apply to med school and then I know. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, there's no keeping you down. It seems like. I don't, yeah, I don't know how to not dream like big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the idea is, yeah, so do a degree in psychology and then med school and specialize as a psychiatrist but in the meantime I do I am a a qualified uh, counselor and I used to do a lot of volunteer counseling for SADAC the Mm. South African Depression and Anxiety Group and so I'm just working on getting that business up and running and I've put together an online course which I also sell to people so it's 12 weeks online equipping Mm. you with a number of tips and tools and techniques that I've learned over the years to help you with a number of mental health issues. That sounds like a lot of people need that kind of thing as well. I've always found that exactly the same thing. I think the people who really suffer with, as you said, anxiety, social issues, depression, all yeah. of those things, are the ones that usually, if you can get them off their butts, of course, and they'll go out and do the wild things. Yeah. Now, the book is the book about just your travels, or is it about bringing in those issues as well? A bit of both. It's it's a bit of both. So I have actually started writing a, a second book now, which is far more focused on the mental health mm. aspect of it. Uh, but the book does, it has a bit of both in it. So it's uh, autobiography, but um, it tra- it focuses on both my travels, being a bit of an, an information guide mm. for people who aim to do the same kind of traveling, adventure traveling through or around Africa, but also a bit about my background before I started you know, doing crazy stuff like riding around Africa. <laughs> and where can people find the book? So the book is available. You can either find it online on my website um, and download it as an ebook, or you can find it on Take A Lot or on Amazon as an ebook Kindle or as a physical print. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so what's the website? Oh, so my website. <laughs> it's very easy. It's uh, www.joerust.com. J-O-R-U-S-T. Okay. Yeah. And uh, any plans to go doing another mad ride around anywhere in the future? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. So because I'm taking a break at the moment, um, you know, I was planning on starting racing this year, enduro racing. But then, you know... <laughs> Life kind of had another plan for me. So because I'm so focused on my um, new business and studies and everything at the moment, there's no time for that. Yeah, And that's why I decided, okay, I'm putting the motorcycling aside just for a little while. I do miss it so badly. So at the moment, I have this little 150cc scooter that I actually rode here. And <laughs> it's so slow, but it's... <laughs> they love the other. It's two wheels, <laughs> and I, you know. <laughs> but I do... I do miss it so badly and I do obviously want to get back on a bike at some point. Mm. At one point, the dream was the Dakar, but I don't see myself doing that. 
Well, you never know. But a couple of years in the future, we'll find you sponsors. Maybe after med school. (laughs) After you finish med school and all of that, yeah. (laughs) We'll go and show Camille and all of those guys over on the Dakar that, you know, you know, I think that would be actually wonderful. I always wanted to go and follow the tour around. I, I mean, it's one of the two sporting things that I actually do watch. Yeah. The Dakar and the other one is the Tour de France. The only oh, sporting, the a, a bit of rugby here and there, but the, I don't miss either of those two things. Yes. Yeah. So Dakar always. Yeah. First of January, yes. Dakar. <laughs> Everyone yeah. is like, you know, that countdown to Dakar. And also for me, Tour de France. I'm far more motorsports. Um, enthusiast than anything else but uh yeah and moto gp i watch moto gp like, yeah that i do yeah I, going around and around a track is boring <laughs> you don't see the same thing every single corner i'm quite happy to see new scenery every single time i look at it but thank you so much and i mean i'm really i'm i'm gobsmacked um gumption doesn't even begin to explain what you've been doing with your life i mean it's just fantastic and i hope it goes out and inspires a whole lot of a future generation of young ladies as well to yeah, say, absolutely. right, this is what I can do. Yeah. She can do it. I can do it too. Well, that's the thing. I always say to people, you can do it too. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Indeed. Thank you so much. Don't forget, everybody, of course, uh, www.joerust.com. Go and have a look at the story. Get hold of the book and uh, let us know what you think. Maybe Joe can give you a little bit of insight into what you should be doing with your life as well. Take good care. We look forward to hearing about your next adventures. Thank you so much for having me. That was so fun. (laughs) And, of course, uh, don't forget you can listen to other podcasts of uh, The Reading Room with all the wonderful authors and adventurers we have in South Africa. Just keep on telling your friends about it as well. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.